Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. I'm Sam Roberts, I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined by... Tom Senior. I'm Phil Savage. This is one of those Top 100 specials that we're going to do. For readers of the magazine, we've been doing the Top 100 for decades. Uh, I think it started in like the mid-90s when we were doing that. But certainly when I started reading the mag in uh, 98, we were already doing it. So, mm. And I'm pretty sure when I looked into this, it's something like 96 when we started doing it. Uh, we've always uh, done this list of the best, one, the 100 best games to play uh, right now on PC. Mm. And putting it together is always a mammoth task. And uh, for the magazine, it's a 28-page feature. And then about a month later, it goes online as well. And uh, yeah, it's always well received by the internet. They, uh, they love <laughs> absolutely everything, every decision, every positioning of everything you know it's, yeah it's we great. have a it's history it. of very good decisions so, I mean. <laughs> we do um and we have complete respect for our audience which is last year why last year we put dragon age 2 at 94 on the list um <laughs> um but yeah i think our mag readers really enjoy it and it's uh, it's always a big event and uh yeah and putting it together is always an interesting process for us because it allows yeah. us to audit our bad decisions over the years and our good decisions when and, we occasionally make them yeah and have sort of mild arguments uh that go on for ages Yes. And are incredibly grueling. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because new writers sort of come and go on PCG, obviously. Uh, we, we include different freelancers each year to kind of mix it up. And uh, the list changes as a result of that. And uh, this is quite a contemporary feeling list, I think. There's still plenty of classics in there. Like, mm. we have the final list now, which we'll reveal in late July. I think it's July the 27th, I believe it is. That's the date you said. Yep. <laughs> or the 26th, something like that. Whatever the Thursday mm. is of that week. Um, I, can't, so, yeah. I can't believe Dragon Age 2 is number one this year. It's just <laughs> such a turn out for the books. We really, uh, we've really pushed it, you know, further than ever. And that Space Marine got to number two. I yeah. Mean, I, Tom. I may I have mean, had something you know. to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I can't believe we waited to the voting system so you so, got like yeah. <laughs> individually tracked down every freelancer <laughs> intercepted their communications <laughs> um, everyone voted space me <laughs> so how the process works is that uh all of us are our uk and us teams um we all individually uh vote for 15 games and then using a kind of point system those uh, get a kind of like put together in a list and then uh one us writer and one uk writer phil savage go into I, that uh, go into a, a sort of like a very polite Thunderdome. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, that is the, actually the politest part of it because I think neither me nor Tyler, who is our US representative in this process, are particularly no, disagreeable it's, people. Yes, it's two very two very nice men hash this out and then we get a list that we're happy with. Mm. And uh, that's that's basically how we did it this year. So on this podcast, we're going to talk a bit about that top 15 process and yeah. what, what we personally picked, which doesn't give loads away about what the... F- but don't, in fact, it gives nothing away about what the finished list is, but gives some idea of the sort of games that will make it in there. So, hmm. yeah, yeah, we thought that would be an interesting thing to do. I guess it's also worth pointing out, like, what the criteria are for selecting a top 15. Because hmm. um, it's... we For the top 100, we do try to shy away from, like, looking at PC games that are, you know, seen as important to the genre or whatever, or, you know, are evoke very strong nostalgic feelings we're mostly because it's a list we do every year and we want it to be a moving list that sort of reflects what pc gaming is like today we tend to like emphasize that your choices should be you know the 15 games that you love now yeah um and that can be older games and you know it should be older games but they have to sort of be games that you could play today and still love just as much yeah, it's why you don't really see Ultimate Underworld on the list, for example, mm. or like you know, um, the it, reputations it, alone. You know, that doesn't necessarily really mean anything with the list. Yeah, it's why something like um, uh, XCOM, the original one, Enemy uh, mm. Unknown. What was it called? You, it was called UFO Enemy Unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something. Um, 
it's why that like it it was on the list for a long time um, historically, um, but it's sort of gradually it was gradually slipping down, and then when the newer XComs arrived, um, it was basically it was just gone for the most part because yeah you know those are some old games with a very clunky interface that you have to do a lot of work in sort of passing whereas the new XCOM sort of provide that experience in a much more yeah open and friendly way yeah we've got like um i think every, we did this last year but we have like a uh, a top 50 most important pc games list that yes. kind of like mm. it, instead tells that story of you know the way the history of PC gaming was defined, shaped by these, uh, you know, these stone cold classics. And you know, we don't oh, dispute that they're still good games. But like, I kind of want to. I always, I always see it as like, you know, you have a reader picks up the magazine for the first time, they look at it, and they go, right, these are the hundred games I should play now. And when they play them, they'll get something out of playing every single one. I think the list definitely does that, and mm. and always has in the time I've been here. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting process um, because like, uh, what what people sort of like replay games so you see some old games pop up that still hold up now mm. and yeah yeah i uh i i certainly i go through kind of like my most played games in my steam library to see how much changes my list is actually pretty similar to last year's right. like I, I think i've really kind of figured out the only thing that changed this year for me was that rocket league's no longer in my list <laughs> um, don't talk about that a little bit <laughs> well just a little bit but like um yeah, I just sort of, you know, I, I, I haven't played it for a year, so I feel like I shouldn't put it in my list, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Um, which I think is probably the right approach. Um, I think for a multiplayer thing, certainly, yeah. Yeah, it's... absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's interesting, because like, something like uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, for example, more people, people voted for that this year. It's a, it's a sign of how contemporary the list is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to reflect what people are actually playing, what people are interested in, or at least what we're playing and what we're interested in. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see those stuff, that stuff pop up and down. Whereas there's some games that from previous years, it might have been more of a phenomenon then that kind of dropped down a little bit. Like, uh, it just naturally happens. Um, so if I was going to ask you guys then about picking your top 15, like what, what was that process like for you? And do you want to pick out any kind of specific examples of things where you're like, oh, that's... That's kind of interesting that that's made my list this year, you know. Yeah, I think um, my list probably has changed more this year than it has in previous years. Um, like, there were old reliable standards of the past, uh, things like Team Fortress 2, I'd always vote fairly highly. And this year just didn't make it, because as with you in Rocket League, it's I haven't really played it. And I also think, like, the, the, the way that that game implemented matchmaking and um, these sort of features that they introduced after Overwatch's release to try and compete more directly with the experience Overwatch provides actually really hurts TF2 mm. and like how that community where that what that community's playing and like how it how it functions and collects around certain modes mm. um so yeah I just voted for Overwatch instead so it's like that's the game that provides that sort of experience that I've been playing this year yeah um, you sort of like um, the thing with the, the the whole kind of standards thing is that there would have been a point where TF2 became, you know, was released and then became high on the list and then became a standard in itself. It like it it, it always changes, right? The list from the nineties is completely different to now, and like mm. I like the idea of not being beholden to reputations. No, totally. You know? um, like TF2 has done very well for itself. Like it's been in the list every year for ten years. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's how old that game is now. That's uh, pretty which great is, for a multiplayer game. Is heroic, basically. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. It it's had a year of not a lot happening. Uh, yeah. There's been no major updates, you know. Um, 
it might be I like I think it's still played a lot, but I think in terms of just like critical consensus and like what how we view PC gaming like as a trend and that it is sort of waning away. And yeah, the yeah. list reflects that as it should. Yeah. I'd say another thing that's interesting about your list, Phil, um, mm-hmm. is that uh, so last year I think you voted for Hitman Blood Money. Yes. And then you asked at the time, I wonder if next year, hmm. you know, Hitman 2016, the game that you reviewed uh, seven times. <laughs> Technically eight times because oh, I reviewed it for games for eight hours as well. <laughs> Uh, would replace it, and uh, it has replaced that. It in has, the list. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting one. Like, um, I think I really love Blood Money, and there was probably a point because I think Hitman might have started being released. Yeah, when we did the list. I think it was like maybe year. two episodes in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like, okay, well, this isn't in a place yet where to be comfortable, you know, taking out something like Bloody Money which is this like full package and it's full of incredibly memorable levels to mm. this day um, but now that uh, Hitman is also like the 2016 Hitman is a full thing you know all the season one episodes have released um, they the IO shows like an amazing ability not just to understand what makes a good Hitman level but then to experiment on that formula a bit towards the end mm. um, which provides a really nice sort of pace to the levels like Hitman can sometimes suffer the series overall from you know it repeating the sort of same touchstones over and over again but you've got a different theme so okay here's the level set in Japan so you've got like a way to kill someone with poisonous fish the party level yeah exactly like um, very evocative themes a lot of the time but um, still quite uh, I guess expected sort of standard tropes that they fall back on a lot mm. whereas the new hitman i think the themes probably are a bit weaker here and there because they they're doing this sort of world tour thing so it's just like uh, the the bangladeshi hotel level i think is more notable for being a hotel than it is for being set in bangladesh or wherever it's, it's set um it, it's more about the spaces than it is about the individual theme but within that they actually come up with some very new ideas um that's really freshened up the series um also, I wonder how much of it... Like, for me, I don't think much of it is goodwill towards IO now that they've been made newly indie yes. and are in full control of the Hitman mm. uh, series, which is really good news, obviously, but I think I'd already made up my mind that I, I was going to vote for this and I was going to vote for it highly. Like, I think I put it third in my list. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, I wasn't the only person who voted for Hitman, and I do wonder if it picked up a bit of goodwill in that sense. Like, it's very current mm. and it's quite a feel good story right now yeah I think so yeah I definitely think it's sort of had an effect on other people's votes and like um, yeah, it's amazing how the story of that game sort of changed over the course of a year like mm. it was a year ago it was kind of like anger at the always on online stuff that they've sort of gradually phased yeah. out it always had mixed reviews on Steam until very recently it sort of the consensus changed around and people were and the episodic model as well people just still didn't receive that particularly well mm. I don't think and uh yeah, yeah, and now obviously it's there is no more Square Enix. They are just an indie dev making this stuff. Hopefully, mm. hopefully they'll get a second season out, and that that will happen without a hitch. Probably with less ornate ceilings this time. Um, <laughs> Maybe, uh, but yeah, let's it's, uh, it's 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 cool to see that sort of replacement of you know uh, a, an old entry in a series with the new one. Mm. Um, whereas it doesn't always happen that way. Like for example, I think they're being I think a slightly weaker 
Deus Ex game has damaged that series a little bit in the kind of like the amount of that people have selected it like Hmm. because Mankind Divided wasn't a slam dunk in terms of that quite abrupt ending and the fact that the series is kind of over and unresolved and that Human Revolution itself isn't really it doesn't look as nice and has aged quite a bit like it's people end up picking neither and then neither really neither makes the list and it's interesting how that can happen with a weaker sequel, you know. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is like something like Mankind Divided come along sort of prompts people to reevaluate a series. Um, it's difficult because, like, I don't, I didn't vote for Deus Ex this year, and again, it's something I used to vote for mm. fairly, usually like in the bottom half of my list because you know you've got to balance up everything that that game does well, the original, with the fact that it's incredibly old and it was clunky when it was released, let yeah. alone now. Mm. Um, and I think this year it's just more there was just more competition and more things that are you know as I was browsing my Steam list I thought oh no I really want that in there and I want that in there and I want to champion this thing and um, like the original Deus Ex is always going to be fine it's like it's always going to be there it's done its it's done its job mm. Uh, mm. someone is also always going to vote for it so it's like well I'm going to prioritise other stuff I think and you know even if Deus Ex doesn't make our top 100, uh, which, spoiler, it does. It does, yeah. <laughs> um, like, it, that doesn't take anything away from, you know, what that game has done over its lifetime and how mm. important it is to an extent. Like, it's the it's the top 100 or most important distinction again, whereas, you know, you can be one without necessarily being the other in this moment. Mm. Yeah, I used to vote for Deus Ex quite often and it's gone out of my list completely in the last couple of years um partly because most of my love for it is nostalgic now i realize and mm. um at the time like it, i could replay it quite happily but now the idea of reinstalling that game and trying to play it i just i wouldn't do it i wouldn't spend my time that way it's just um games have become games just feel better the interactions are so much better now that i, I kind of demand at least a basic level of uh, that from from my game so as much as Deus Ex will always be important I don't think I could put it back in the list Yeah, especially not when there are just so many good other games um, even Doom coming back Wolfenstein The New Order like the, those old series coming back with a vengeance but with modern sensibilities and you know, that feel amazing to play that kind of game feel sense so mm. strong um, I'd rather give my points to those than uh, something like Deus Ex yeah, yeah I think like um so I spent the last couple of months playing old games just in preparation for the top 100, uh, things like Anachronox mm. and Vampire the Masquerade. And I enjoyed both <coughs> of them a lot, but neither ultimately made my list because, I think again, it was just like there are so many just very instantly amazingly feeling games around. Mm. Uh, and it is things like Wolfenstein or Metal Gear Solid Five or whatever, where yeah. it's just like... These are not only they're not. It's not like about instant gratification necessarily, although they do provide that. But it's also like under the polish and the incredibly like smooth feeling, very seamless uh, systems. It's incredibly. There's some incredibly deep stuff lurking there as well. It's not like they're dumbed down or whatever you know mm. you'd like to, you want to call them. They they are still properly like deep interesting strategic games yeah um, to talk about Alan Partridge if anything they've dumbed up <laughs> <laughs> excellent <laughs> wonderful um, no, no I agree with you actually like my I think my my um, Deus Ex kind of systems the entry is MGS5 because mm, a lot yeah. of what I, I enjoy about those games is, is in that game in this very perfect mm. easily interactive form like such a 
it's such a great pick up and play game despite being quite complex and it's ai systems and stealth options and so on yeah it's uh interesting how like, i think uh, games from about two years ago are getting a resurgence in this top 100 because mm. that little bit of distance kind of really allows you to appreciate what stood out in that year and what you really would play again what mm. what the classics are mm. and then so you, you with top 100 you can get like a year or two of lag where it's like oh actually that's kind of a modern classic so i'll give that some points i think stuff like mgs5 is definitely an example of that mm. where i would play that tomorrow like and i would recommend that anyone play it tomorrow so you've got to vote for it yeah for <laughs> sure i say like in your list tom as well you've got uh alien isolation in mm. there as well um, which is kind of falls into that bracket yeah for sure. and then like uh the witcher as well witcher 3 mm. um yeah the witcher is such a uh, still such a rich and huge game and you know it's like the just <laughs> taking the witcher 3 to someone new is like giving them a big delicious meal basically it's just the, it's still a few years on just the most sumptuous rpg and the most beautiful frequently and has some of the best stories in it uh so i mean the witch 3 is just a solid gold pick this mm. year how are you getting oh. on with that sam <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> why did you have to ask Phil? well i think it's, it's interesting because we're talking about you know giving a game to a new player giving the witcher to a new player specifically mm. and, yeah uh you recently came to me and I don't know, based on a couple of hours? I've had it, yeah. I, this is why I shouldn't talk about it. This is why I talk about it in the office and not in the magazine or on the podcast. <laughs> um, I have I have put off playing Witcher 3 properly, actually. I've played mm. I played about 40 hours of Witcher 2 back in the day, and I did really, I did really enjoy it, actually. I thought, it was, uh, I thought I did a lot of things well that Bioware games didn't do so well in terms of, like, I thought the, I thought the combat was really good, actually. And I, I know not everyone will feel the, the same way about that, but I actually really like the Witcher 2's combat. I think it's better than the Witcher 3's combat. Interesting. It's the weakest part of the Witcher 3 by a long way. Yeah, so I, I really liked it. But, like, um, yeah, I, I, I picked it up, and, like, I, I admittedly struggled a bit with the opening, uh, just the world, the world, the setting, like, and mm. it, it didn't break much of a high, f- uh, sorry, a dark fantasy mould for me. Like, it was... The premise is very. I, I I don't feel like I should be talking about this. I need to keep going, Phil. You do, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I think you know, it's be- a beautifully presented world for sure, um, and like some some good bits of writing, but then some bits of writing that I didn't that didn't wow me actually. I think I just been set up to think it mm. is this perfectly written, amazing story, and uh, it sounds like a lot of the best stories are are side quests and buried fairly deep into the game. Yeah, the main story is. Um like this big long chase that does go on and on like it's, it's just a thread to pull you through uh, yeah. from town to town more than anything I yeah I, I regret talking about it <laughs> well, it's no, really I, interesting though yeah, I mean, yeah yeah I don't I'm not trying to like ambush you or mm. get you in trouble with uh, the legions of witch fans <laughs> Uh, that can get quite angry about things but I think like, I do think like yeah. a first impression to something like that especially something that is so highly praised is yeah. important like um but yeah, I can see people feeling the same, a similar way about MGS Five though. Like that, oh, totally. it's so overwhelming when you first start it. Yeah. Like, and you're not good at it. Like that opening mission where you have to go and get that guy off that hill. I could that could be every mission in the game actually. <laughs> but like, um, and then the and then those um, ghost things turn up, those terrible oh, enemies. God, yeah. Like you could I. You could be forgiven thinking this is a sack of shit. I don't know what I'm doing. Why are my guns rubbish? Yeah, this I mean, is crap. You yeah. know. I think most people who are long-standing fans of Metal Gear Solid were probably pulled through the very opening sequence just by the weirdness of it. Yeah. And then it completely left turns into something much more uh, sandboxy in nature. Yeah, and basically... Yeah, it's a weird game. It's a very weird game. So, yeah, you know, it's the first impression of a, a what, 100-plus-hour game. Like, I'm going to keep going for sure, because it's, mm. it's basically the that and Dishonored 2 are the, are the games I kind of wish I'd played properly in time for this top 100, but mm. didn't quite have time for. Mm. So I... 
I voted for the original Dishonored um, in my list, and so did you, Tom. I did, yeah, for the same reason. It's because um, I had so many technical problems with Dishonored 2 when it came out that I just put it on the shelf for um, months and months. I only picked it up like a couple of weekends ago, mm. and I think it's brilliant so far, but I can't like put it into, into yeah. this top 100 without having really done it from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's fine. Plenty of people have picked Dishonored too, mm. and that will be including me. Indeed, indeed, you have, Phil. But I reviewed uh, that, so I had no excuse. I couldn't say I've not played this properly. <laughs> then there'd probably be a performance review. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I don't. I mean, I would probably wouldn't. Actually, I'm too uh, I'm too inept a manager to to find the time to do such a thing. But um, yeah, so uh, something you guys have both put on your list. I don't think I did in the end. Actually, was. Um, Wolfenstein: The New Order, which Tom, you talked a little bit about, like mm. um, another example, like you say, of games that you know a few years have passed on, and we look back on now as a stone cold classic. Probably a little bit of the new one being announced as well, and that you know reminding people of how how great that first one was. Yeah, and um, also partly the fact that uh, I'm still a little guilty about not putting it in our Game of the Year awards that year. <laughs> we do we do carry that burden around with us, don't we? I mean, we should forgive ourselves really and let it we go. But, you know, never. <laughs> No, it was, uh, <clears throat> I've been playing it again recently, partly because of the sequel, but I was replaying it already before that. And apart, it's got a slightly duff opening mission, but after that, it is legitimately brilliant shooter. It just feels amazing. It's, yeah. uh, the guns are so, so good, um, and it's so much fun. And it's such, such a silly world, and quite intelligently put together, I think. Like, mm. It's sense of humour and it's sense of gravitas, uh, a very well-crafted uh, yeah, it's just uh, fantastic. It's sort of um, I I kind of always remember it as a sort of variety between missions. Like each mission mm. basically has a premise, doesn't it? And yeah. then like mm. um, and then the same kind of combat systems work well in those different situations, mm. with the possible exception of that big boss fight against the robot thing, which I don't think is that interesting. Yeah, true. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but I don't know. I think yeah, just in the general sort of corridor levely stuff, I don't think there's a shooter that transitions between stealth and action as like smoothly or as interestingly as Wolfenstein does mm. um, has better has the best guns as well yeah well mm. that, and that's part of it it's like it's um, it's good the stealth stuff is sort of it's very streamlined and simplistic but it's quite satisfying to sort of creep around and pick off these Nazis and uh, sort of slowly pick away at bits of you know the the challenge and reduce the playing board a bit but hmm. when you get spotted it's not like like in a regular stealth game I'd be reaching for the quick load key um, yeah. but it's not that because you have these amazing guns so it's almost a relief when you're spotted because it's like it's time for this now yeah. motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so uh, Tom you've been replaying it how have you how have you been finding that experience yeah it's brilliant um, I think it's uh, rivaled for kind of gun quality with Doom 2016 uh, mm, which yeah, also yeah. has incredible guns mm-hmm. and by the way some of the best movement in a first person game I've I've ever played mm. uh, Doom is just so fast and fluid and the way the levels are spaced out and the jumps are spaced out it just feels so effortless and fluid to go from one place to another uh, and the fact that Doom 2016 became a game about jumping on the monsters as well as shooting them from afar is a testament to that yeah. um, but Wolfenstein is more of a kind of grounded shooter that uh, has that feels especially amazing if you have a machine gun in each hand uh, and the kind of weird flexibility of that weapon set is amazing so you can headshot someone off a balcony with a little kind of click of the right mouse button mm. um, and then if someone surprises you around the corner you can just go full auto on both of them uh, it, it's, it's such a powerful and exciting fun feeling uh, mm. and the, the laser in that game is brilliant um, yeah. you know you're cutting holes through like uh, 
through the thin sheets of metal and then sw- switching mode. Oh, that is nice. And oh, then just popping the catharsis a, of that. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> popping an artsy with one one shot. That's so good. And it's also got, um, there's a lot of heart to it and there's a lot of actual kind of characters with arcs and stories and there are hub locations that are very inventive and fun to explore uh, and it didn't need that it doesn't need any of that to still be a great game but it's just that it gives you that something extra uh, that yeah. other shooters completely lack yeah I think that was always the kind of uh, obviously machine games are all like Starbreeze people and that was always the kind of mm. the thing with like the darkness and mm. Riddick where there's that, yeah, yeah. that little narrative texture that makes such a difference you know yeah and, and periods of um, like Riddick was very good at this it gives you you're in a space that isn't a combat zone and it's uh it like surprises you with these little quiet spaces where you actually just go around talking to people and mm. then you go back into another combat zone and wolfenstein does that quite elegantly as well and something that I'd, i hope they keep doing with wolfenstein 2 in their future games yeah yeah <laughs> tom your list generally actually is uh you've got an interesting mix of like i think you've basically picked the best of every type of game that you like <laughs> yep um, <laughs> that was my that, approach that sometimes means that like uh, those games, those genres haven't moved on too much, and so yeah. you've actually got quite a few sort of older games in there because, you know, uh, for example, like you've got the original Company Heroes in there, number one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Again, went back to replay it, and it's still just the best strategy game. As if I was going to play any strategy game, it would be the first Company of Heroes. Mm. The second one is nice, and Dawn of War is nice, but none of it is as kind of crisp or clean or exciting as the first Company of Heroes. It's so tight, and it still looks amazing, and it, it runs beautifully on modern machines. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's an absolutely relevant pick. Um, I think it's it's a sign of how stagnant the RTS genre is that that is still the gold standard for me. Yeah, um, It does stuff that, like, Star, StarCraft, a very different type of RTS, doesn't give me the, the, the tension and the stories that Company of Heroes does. I think it's a legit, legitimately great campaign as well with some... Uh, some outstanding missions still mm. uh, yeah i think that like um rts has become so much about multiplayer that the the mm. sort of like uh, the you know that a good campaign is just uh, is is valued a lot less than it was and mm. to me that's still that is still the essence of a strategy game to me like mm. that's still what i want to play more than the multiplayer yeah i know that's not for everyone but like for me that's always been the case yeah i love that and i love playing skirmish against the ai and i love playing co-op skirmish against the ai, mm. AI and uh, company theories is outstanding at those as well mm. the, the way you can lockdown points and build stuff in in the battlefield while you're still fighting it just feels really organic it feels like you're actually fighting over space in a way that uh starcraft 2 and other games like that feel very abstracted yeah mm. for sure really really great game i say like on a similar note you've got grim fandango in there like yeah. um probably still the best of that point I and click genre so. i think it's it's the it's the most evocative world i think adventure games are about worlds for me yeah more than they are about puzzles and grim fandango has some crap puzzles <laughs> oh they all do though don't they they, uh, they all, all do it's a, it's a genre of bad puzzles as yeah Phil found out and i don't, yeah <laughs> and, and i think it's completely fine to play an old adventure game with it with uh a, a fac open just because so much of the quality is in the presentation and the jokes and oh, yeah. um a lot of the line delivery and, and grim fandango's kind of owes such a debt to kind of film noir films and uh it's it's so funny and still so silly and the remastered version keeps it relevant as well and makes sure it preserves all those assets and make sure it runs on modern machines yeah uh, so it's still a great one that's a hard one to pick the adventure game category because adventure games are a genre that has evolved um is a, is a genre that has evolved like stuff like life is strange stuff like walking dead <laughs> that's very true yeah it's turned into a very different kind of it's really opened up which is really exciting mm. but there's still room for grim fandango i think and full throttle in those games yeah absolutely i think people will be happy to see them on the list mm. um phil yeah. your, li- your list has uh a couple of older games as well that are, that are kind of interesting 
uh, sort of a few that recur elsewhere, but also a few that are just specific to you. Yeah, um, so I guess where Tom picked Company of Heroes, I went for Commander Conquer Red Alert 2. Which you revisited in like the last yeah, year. Yeah, I did a the reinstall this year on it. Um, and really enjoyed going back because like um, I agree that uh, missions and like campaigns are probably what I look for. I, I do not like RTS multiplayer as a rule. Um, With the exception of that one game of Dawn of War three, <laughs> that, that was we won. Well, yeah, <laughs> one we won it, and two that was a co-op situation. Mm. Where, like co-op, yeah. I think multiplayer is slightly different. I think because you've got someone to sort of uh, carry you. Yes, <laughs> Tom Senior in this <laughs> <one>. exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, like everything about Red Alert two, I think it's probably like the peak of that series, uh, just in terms of it struck such a nice balance between like. It, the cutscenes were ridiculous before they were knowingly ridiculous. Like, there's a bit of knowing, like a nod and a wink there, but it's not full uh, Red Alert three uh, slash Command and Conquer three when like yeah. EA was throwing money at getting proper actors in. Jonathan Price to, and, yeah. uh, and they're they're fun, but they're fun in quite an ironic way. Um, yeah, this is sort of like the perfect mix, I think, between the uh, sincere crumminess of Red Alert 1 yes. and then the sort of celeb overload of those later games. Like, it's kind of like you, it's, you've got Ray Wise you from do. Twin Peaks as the president of the United yeah. States, and that's just terrific. And he, he really gives it <laughs> He really gives it one, I think. Yeah. Um, and that, like, So that's all fun. But then also it's um, a great balance of, uh, again, in, in terms of the midpoint thing, it's got... A really nice sort of spread of units that have like little elements of humor in. They're not again. If you go back and play Red Alert One, it's quite harrowing in a lot of ways. Like it looks silly because it's all sprites and stuff, but it's not played for laughs at all. Like these things are getting crushed up, and these things by which these things I mean like the people, yeah, crushed yeah. up and electrocuted, or like and the the way like uh, a sort of like a body uh, sort of this like that one sort of sprite where it sort of turns into a, like a bloody wadge of like yes. meat and then it just vanishes, you know? Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, Red Alert 2, yeah, it introduces a bit more silliness. Like there's the, I'm pretty sure it's Red Alert 2 and specifically like the expansion that has a tank that you can put a dog in it and it becomes a tank with a megaphone that demoralizes enemy units. <laughs> um, and that's obviously amazing. Yeah, of course. Uh, but it's also just sort of quite a B-movie invasion thing where mm. um, the Soviets are coming after America and it's like you're fighting to defend the Statue of Liberty and stuff like that. It's good. It's just yeah, a good sort of interesting, quite evocative, schlocky B-movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I really enjoyed playing through again. I think that, that the thing that... Uh, why Command & Conquer has always been my favourite RTS is the unit types. They're just such fun. Like, that sort of exaggerated real-world hardware thing with some, like, fun sci-fi elements built yeah. on top of it. Mm. They're just... They're just terrific, like um, yeah, and like the prism tanks in two, like all that sort of stuff. Like I really, really love that extension of reality. It's like playing with micro machines or something. It's mm. it's really yeah, I, I really like that. You can make really big armies as well and just push them forwards. That's it. Yeah. It's still fun. Usually need to. I mean, if, if the Command and Conquer series has a problem, it's that it's not really balanced as much as it is just. Build, get your economy to build 50 tanks and you've probably won the mission yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's not really much need for unit composition or anything clever mm. but that's fine it's yeah absolutely um it's another older game you got on your list phil 
you uh, selected Oblivion, where most people select Skyrim. Mm. Um, so uh, what was behind that decision? I was just like, yeah, take that, Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> Bethesda, whose games we've otherwise praised quite a lot on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I, I like to wind them up by praising another one of their games to the game that everyone praises. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big contrarian like that. Uh, no, um, I think... Uh, this is the Elder Scrolls. I think is very much a series where you basically just attach to the first one you play, um, mm, yeah, yeah, and that sort of becomes the one you remember fondly because it's it's when you sort of discover how those worlds are built and the freedom of those worlds and the amount of things you can do. So, um, much many people like Morrowind the best because it's. Um, not just because it's a suit's choice, but because it <laughs> gen- genuinely does very interesting things with systems, and it's probably the most like immersive simmy version of that world. Yeah, uh, to the point where like you can you know kill essential characters and completely screw things over for you, and it's just a completely freeing sandbox. Mm. Um, I, I always struggle to get over just like how much, how many sacrifices there are within that. Like in terms of, uh, it's aged terribly. It's very rough to play. I thought it was really rough to play at the time, actually, mm. um, in terms of combat and just general moving around. But yeah, Oblivion's a little bit slicker. It's it is still like very aged, especially graphically. Like uh, its faces were ugly as shit at the time, and yeah. are, are just abhorrent now. Like its combat is resolutely not as good as Skyrim. Oh combat, no, definitely, you know? definitely yeah. not. But like. Weirdly, with that RPG series, more than any other, I, I'm not really in it for the world or like a sense of immersion. I'm sort of there to dick about with interesting systems. And what Oblivion has over Skyrim is it sort of lets you break it in fascinating ways. Mm. Like it's um, the way it does enchantment and stuff like that is a little more open than in Skyrim, and that lets you create some really weird combos. Yeah, like uh, you can grind Oblivion gates to get. Uh, an incredibly powerful um, stealth spell that you can apply to enough bits of armor that you are completely invisible and no one can ever see or attack you. Yes. Which is just a fascinating way to break a thing. Yeah. It's like cheat codes, but they're completely supported by the world. That's quite an exciting thing that you just just wouldn't see in a modern RPG in the same way. I think, and uh, it's like... Skyrim, I think Bethesda with its main RPG series is always in like a very interesting battle between immersion and a sandbox. Yeah. Um, you see it in Fallout 4 even, which is probably one of the most like attempts at world building, you know, the best attempts at world building they've done. Mm. But it's still my character was a stealth character who constantly had enough like of those power cores to always be wearing battle armor, the power armor. Yeah. So I'm I was a giant pink like cause I had like a flame a hot rod flame attachment thing. I was just crouch walking in a power suit with a very successful stealth build. I found that hilariously entertaining. But it completely breaks the fiction of the thing. But I I think you either, you really want that fiction to remain intact, but with a great Bethesda RPG, it kind of persuades you to say, nah, just have a bit of fun with these systems. Like, feel free to join both the Dark Brotherhood and the... Um, the Fighters Guild and the Thieves Guild, yeah. all who have competing ideals, and be the leader of all of them. Why not? Because <laughs> this isn't actually a character you're building in this world. It's just fun content. Right, yeah. 
Um, okay, uh, Tom, you talk about why you like Skyrim while I nip to the bathroom. And if you run out of things to talk about, I've overbeveraged. <laughs> then you can also talk about Guild Wars 2, which you both put on your list. Oh, cool, yeah. Natural conversation commence. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. It's always good when you're here to set up social situations. <laughs> so, uh, Skyrim... Um, I think uh, the problem I have with Oblivion is the Deus Ex problem, where yes. I, th- I think just the actual act of walking around and jumping around and hitting things just isn't quite there. I think that Skyrim is still legitimately one of the best open worlds ever made in terms of uh, its variety of terrain, uh, mm. the feeling of travelling through it, um, what it does with perspective to make mountains feel enormous, and uh, the sense of when you're up in a mountain you see a dragon that's still kind of a magical moment even though their movement is super janky and it doesn't really quite work like a lot of Bethesda stuff like they've they've put enough into the vision to make it exciting and uh, it's amazing how that game has kept its magic even without mods like the very core of the game is still really exciting walking out onto that mountainside for the first time and knowing that you can go anywhere and do anything Uh, so I've been kind of dipping back into Skyrim recently for the vanilla version with no mods and be very impressed by how much it holds up um, I think you know, in an era of open world games, everything is open world now. Uh, it's good to go back and see that people were doing open worlds better, like if yeah, yeah. years ago, and that maybe people could learn things from Skyrim, where, where it's it's not about surface area; it's about the kind of quality of the environment and the way it flows as you move through it, and, totally. and how how it feels like a real place and a memorable place. Skyrim's sort of interesting because it does like it's an open world, but it has enough of those RPG systems that it doesn't feel like the the very standard now Ubisoft item, the like oh, yeah. icon, mm. you know, pinball machine where you just bounce between different activities. Like, yeah, it's the um, the minimap problem that you know, uh, open world design has become so standardised, uh, and I frankly I think it's because a lot of the standardised stuff is easy to do, uh, and it's much harder to. <laughs> do a Witcher 3 type thing or a, um, a Skyrim type thing where you're, you're, put, you're hiding actual stories in the environment. Mm. Uh, and Skyrim still has that kind of plucking flowers element to it, but y- you're free to totally ignore it. It's not like a, it doesn't make you do it. And loads mm. of open world games just make you do that stuff now and it's so tedious. Um, but it's easy because it's, it's easy hashtag content, isn't it? Uh, yeah, totally. And it's a, it's a way to make your world f- feel textured in a very artificial way uh, when it isn't really. And I, I often feel that um, open world games... That's almost over-designed uh, from a, like a concept art perspective. They're almost um, the vistas are. <laughs> it sounds stupid. Uh, like too perfect. Like right. to the point where they're not believable. Uh, you don't see any ugly towns. Every town is absolutely beautiful. Like you could have you could have seen it in a dream or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I like places like Riften that are quite ugly. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and places. Uh, the Witch Three is very good at this as well of creating places that are deliberately ugly, because that's what you know. The world isn't this perfect series of concept art. I think it feels less believable when it is. Skyrim definitely has a nice balance. Like, uh, is it uh, Marrakesh, the one uh, on the west side of Skyrim? Mm. Uh, that's like a really striking, beautiful city. You know, there's the like bronze doors that build into this mountain. Oh yeah. Um, and the way it weaves around is sort of interesting, if slightly annoying to navigate. But compared to like, I hate Winterhold. Is it? Or yeah. Windhelm, one of the northern ones that is just like a, the one with the bridge. Uh, possibly is that the one you need like a bridge to enter it? I think something like that. Yeah, or there's a bridge inside, like a overarching. It's thing. Uh, just it's just this crappy snow town though, uh, <laughs> that's full of racism. And, 
uh, jerks. Is that the one with the orphanage side quest? Yeah, I think so. And there's oh, yeah. like these yeah. elven slums, like they're all yeah. packed into a couple of streets. That's probably my favourite side quest from Skyrim, actually. Mm. I've seen because uh, doesn't that boy try and get you to poison their oh, person yeah. running their? Um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that. a cool. That was a cool side quest. Yeah, and there weren't many bits of story that really got me in Skyrim, but that was good. That's another reason I voted for Oblivion over Skyrim. Not that side quest, but the fact that Oblivion has um, a. Uh, he's the mad god. What's his name? Shigoroth. Right. His quest involves cheese uh, and raining dogs. Um, <laughs> it's very you, Phil. Which is way better than Skyrim's Shigoroth quest. <laughs> um, so you go, you uh, have you guys chatted about Guild Wars two yet? I'm no, guessing not. We were so good at talking about Skyrim, Sam. And now we're we proud of us. Now we will. <laughs> very good, Phil. Now we will naturally transition into a conversation about Guild Wars two. Comfortable chat. Nice. Um, so yeah, but it's the only MMO I think both of you put on your list. Like. Um, why uh, Why Guild Wars 2 you guys still playing it still enjoying it yeah it's, it's the best MMO it's like the, the, my approach to the list was like every genre what's the best one and that is the best one I mm. think. Mm. Uh, but Phil has played it way more than me I have uh, and yeah no it's probably still the best MMO um, I've sort of drifted away from it slightly in the um, I've been I've been checking out other MMOs recently just to see what they were doing but I completely fell out with the Elder Scrolls Online mm. um, which I think I talked about on a previous podcast uh, and um, yeah, nothing else kind of has that same. For one, it's an incredibly beautiful world. Like it's a really nice place to just explore, especially like the um, Silvari areas, which are these uh, towns made of trees, um, very vibrant colours. Uh, um, but also like just as a as a way to facilitate playing with others, uh, specifically like just getting into a group and playing with some friends is probably still the most generous and um, welcoming MMO mm. like, it never punishes you for wanting to play with someone like whatever level they are we can go somewhere and you can experience like you know have some fun and you'll get rewarded for it and that will progress you towards some goal um, it's end game is incredibly grindy but I guess that's because the way it sort of just doles out resources means that you can do pretty much anything whenever mm. you want um, and that's just yeah just a very welcome approach to uh, MMO design also like the way it um, encourages these ad hoc groups to form via it's like world stuff if you're just wandering around in the world some big group quests will happen and you'll just sort of get dragged into this zerg of people going going around doing stuff and it's just a very kind of it distracts you in nice ways to do stuff that maybe you weren't intending to do uh, and, and like it's just very good at directing you into some fun stuff without it feeling like a, you're ticking off a checklist of things hmm, interesting yeah it, it solves so it gets rid of so much of the crap that I hate about MMOs um, when I log back in I've got one taskbar of abilities in Guild Wars 2 and I know what they'll do and there's lots of complexity and different ways to build that and different ways to use it but I log back into Star Wars The Old Republic and it's a mess of just abilities and quick icons. I've got like double stacks on either side of the screen and like a three stack at the bottom. And uh, Goodwill says that let's just get rid of 90% of that and keep uh, the combat skills interesting. Mm. Make them kind of have them 
uh, be like template attacks that are, have areas of effect and actually create a combat system that feels more like a, a living combat system than uh, the endless cycle of highly efficient button pressing that lots of other MMOs mm. devolve into. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah. That's, that's an interesting justification. Like, um, I have to say the other, other other MMO that's been that's prominent in people's votes is FF14. Yeah, for um, sure, yeah. Which I think solves, again, some of the problems that people like about... I mean... It, it, I think people like that game because it's so warm, you know, because this world is so, uh, such a, a nice place just to exist in. It is, yeah. Um, even though that the MMO itself is seems fairly fairly standard. Um, I, that's the next one I really want to check out. And mm. uh, Stephen Messner, who reviewed it for us, seems to love Stormblood in particular. Yeah. Like, well, as he said, he played it, you know, for a ridiculous amount of hours for our review yeah. and is now still playing it which suggests there's really something there that is worth checking out yeah he loved the story and the characters mm. and like you know uh, people I know love the kind of like uh, owning a house the kind of life simmy stuff that's mm. in there and it, it, yeah it sounds like they've really figured out what that game is about and, and people love it which is uh, which is cool yeah I, I reviewed the very first iteration of uh, Final Fantasy 14 <laughs> uh, and I gave it such a scathing review that other news, other sites wrote news stories about it didn't you give it like 30% or yeah, something yeah like I, I gave it like um, it was totally fucked it was terrible uh, yeah. and I said my last line of the review was that they will never fix this and I've been proven so wrong so hard because <laughs> well, uh, uh, it's good now well, and, well you they know, didn't uh, fix it someone else did partially yes, partially you've been proven wrong but also you've got to remember they had to blow up their entire world as part <laughs> of an event to That's relaunch good. the good version yeah like Final Fantasy 14 now starts with the apocalypse that is the previous game being destroyed <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sort of like um, it's it's. I think it's called like a big success story but I'm pretty sure it's like audience still fairly lean mm. you know compared to something like wow <laughs> like, I, there's, Possibly, there's one site that said it's basically got about half a million um, simultaneous users, but I think that's like what FF11 used to have. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the only other MMO that is consistently maintaining. It's got a subscription still. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't had to go free to play. Um, yeah, which, that's a lot of money every month. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, like, yeah. It's, that's doing absolutely fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see it on the list. And like, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna. Uh, so what's when you're getting Sam? Yeah, we should probably do that, shouldn't we? Phil, have you got the list there? Do you want uh, to? Um, yeah, go on then. I will. You can quiz me on that. I'll quiz you, Sam. Yeah. Let's see what. Shall we start? Choices you've made. Let's go. No, let's start with an old one. Okay. Because uh, you have voted for Max Payne Two. I have, yes. Um, and like you with Red Alert, Phil, that's a game that I've um, I've revisited over the last year for the magazine mm. for a reinstall. Yes. And uh, I think I put a Max Payne game. I think I put this on the list last year actually, and then like so. Max Payne One made the list, which I, I think is a great game. Um, but this this the second one is just more refined. It's shorter, but it's better. I think mm. um, it's a, a perfectly refined sort of vision of that third person bullet time uh, sort of like schlocky narrative uh, thing that Remedy obviously brought to PC. I think it's still one of the coolest games around. Like it's just so I don't know. Something like Quantum Break is. I think I think Quantum Break is a naff game. I don't like it. But like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it doesn't have it doesn't have that kind of cool aesthetic it doesn't have any kind of interesting narrative hook like Max Payne 2 is Max Payne 2 is what I want a Remedy game to be and Alan Wake very much follows that format as Mm. well of this tongue in cheek take on uh, quite a pulpy you know pulpy sort of narrative idea I guess yeah yeah yeah. I love it and uh, yeah what are we going to we going to ask me something about it Uh, I was not though (laughs) okay but uh, I think like the reason I put it in there is I was thinking about uh, the cover shooters that you know basically came out after Gears of War. Um, there were so many of them that genre has largely died out. 
and you see cover shooting mm. in other games, mostly open world games now. And I think it's because cover shooting by itself is not interesting, uh, not an mm. interesting interaction. Yeah, I agree. Um, Vanquish aside, I don't think I'd pick. I don't think I, I would ever play a cover shooter over Max Payne 2. I'd mm. rather have that experience if you dive into a room with dual Berettas and you try and headshot everyone yeah. in your first leap before you land. Yeah. That is way better than sitting in cover and doing blind fire to me, even though there's, you know, like Gears of War is a technically very well made game in terms of like how enemies are positioned and how environments are set up. Very extremely well made yeah that's just not very fun to me <laughs> seemed to be a period where everyone was getting annoyed with like it was like oh another bullet time game was happening not for max Payne 2 specifically but like, yeah, i yeah. think there were so many kind of after the matrix and max Payne and all of that like it was suddenly like this is the big thing to put in our game mm. and then cover shooting happened and we moved on to that and that's definitely worse yeah i think sitting so, behind yeah. like an unrealistically proportioned wall mm. to while you wait for the health bar to regen, that's mm. definitely a worse interaction. <laughs> I agree with that. I think that um, I think that even like Rockstar know this because like isn't Michael's ability in GTA basically bullet time? Pretty and, much, um, yeah. And then Trevor's is like that um, rage mode, rage thing. ammo thing. I think it's because they know that cover shooting by himself is not an interesting enough interaction, and you've got to give it something more. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. really hard for um, third-person shooters because they have to have a reason for not being first-person. Yeah. Because first-person shooting is just inherently more satisfying mm. and allows for more precision and more challenge. Um, third-person shoot has to do something else that yeah. makes it makes you need to see your character doing cool things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, Max Payne absolutely does that. Yeah, I think so. Mm. And if you look at like um, even look at like Red Dead Redemption, like that's a, a game where you don't have to sit in cover because you've got that dead eye thing, oh, and yeah, that yeah. is a way more interesting interaction than again just sitting in cover and mm. you know shooting people from there. Like that's yeah, I think that devs know this now. Devs know it's not quite enough by itself. Mm. Um, which is why you kind of have these sort of like drone sort of system things in like yeah. games like Watch Dogs 2 and, you know, just other ways to kind of manipulate the environment or, or, or other things to think about because cover shooting is alone is boring. So that's boring. why I picked Max Payne 2, yes. Yes, and, yeah. correct. One, one thing mm. more games should steal is um, calling in a hit in a, in a third-person game. So any game that does this, it feels amazing. Yeah. So MGS5 calling in a hit with quiet and watching mm. someone else shoot a person for you, that is yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. That feels really good. Um, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, like calling calling in an assassin uh, to uh, to kill your target for mm. you, that feels awesome. Commanding other other people is should be a thing. Yeah, I so that's even something that Spec Ops: The Line does well, which is mm. otherwise quite a rote third person shooter. Just like tell this guy you you know cover fire there, that sort of thing. Yeah, mm. that's the, the the one thing I really loved about playing Wildlands solo uh, is the is the system where you um, mark a specific target for one of your other guys mm. and then you shoot someone and they shoot them simultaneously mm. and that, yeah. feels, that feels very good yes yes um, yeah so that, that that choice is my rejection of cover shooters mm. and excellent yeah, I, yeah, I, my one reservation about it is I think it's a pain in the ass to get running now I couldn't get it running like properly on PC and did have some it took some doing basically because Rockstar hasn't updated it for oh, Windows not, 10 is there not a GOG version no there, there isn't oh. but there should be yeah. so I hope that changes sure. eventually um, so yes um, are there entries on my list Phil you'd like to quiz me about yeah go on then uh, let's talk about um, possibly one of the biggest success stories of this list which is what remains of Edith Finch yes um, so uh, I, I think this is the the it's the walking sim game like that uh that sort of genre however you define that but it loosely contains the likes of gone home everybody's gone to the rapture uh firewatch firewatch which i think was in my list last year mm. um but if i was just this, this is such an impressively made 
almost sort of subversion of those games in terms of like all the different elements it builds on top of that. Like there mm. are, as Tom described in a previous podcast, there are these like uh, little kind of mini games that play out that they're very they're very light in terms of like what you're actually doing them in in them, but they're different enough and interesting enough interactions that support the story they're telling that it, it, it is it's a very collectively it's extremely impressive like um and a very uh, it feels like a richer take on that genre to me yeah i think i wrote somewhere for this game that it packs more surprises into its three or four hours than most entire games mm, yeah. uh, and it's constantly moving and changing and it's it's absolutely beautiful as well and you go through it so effortless effortlessly it's yeah. one of those arguments for not having overly complicated uh, systemic interactions and not a lot of button presses but you still get through it and you know feels constantly evolving feels different it took until the second half of the game for me to realize that i was exploring the rooms in order as well like mm. when you arrive in the oh, house yeah. i think mm. you you feel like you've taken a turn into this oh, i'll also explore this room first and then it's only later on that you realize you're on a path yeah, yeah. Eff- i like effortlessly that. guides you through that doesn't it yeah it does it's really yeah. skillfully done um and even though like the uh the, the the differences in personalities of that house are ridiculous <laughs> to the point of it being super contrived. It's uh, you, you kind of just you just won over by it. Like um, some of the individual stories are so so touching, so uh, also inventive, um, so horrifying in, in cases. Mm. A lot of cases actually. Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 brilliant. I'd recommend it to anyone. It absolutely surprised me in so many ways. And so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't ruin any of its secrets to people. I'd just say you know get it it's in the steam sale right now yep. just go just go buy that game play mm. that game it's brilliant um yeah 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 uh yeah i actually i think my list is a bit more uh my list is a, more different to your list you two lists than than it is you know what i mean than those two are to each other like yeah. it's um yeah it's, uh, slightly less crossover well actually no i suppose actually your lists are pretty different actually yeah mm. um uh, that's that's not a fair thing to say i put ftl in there i pick that every year you do I still love that game yeah it's um I sort of w- I I haven't played it as much this year, but then we did play it at uh, a New Year's Eve party mm. as a group, and that just reminded me of how much I loved it. And I just listened to a podcast with Chris Avalon last week where he talked about guest writing on it. And I was like, oh, that game is just amazing. Yeah, like, it's so I, good. Yeah, I I've, I haven't played it because I've simply because I've exhausted all the narrative possibilities of it, even though I haven't really finished it that many times. Just once, I think. Um, but yeah, that's still a, that's still a fantastic strategy game mm. like a great a great sort of first strategy game as well for people if they're a mm. turn-based strategy game uh yeah actually while we're on strategy tom yes. you picked empire total war i did yeah uh, instead of some of perhaps the more obvious choices like shogun 2 i guess would be probably the most obvious choice for a historical total war yeah shogun 2 certainly would and total war, war warhammer is out as well and it's <laughs> yes. very very good as well um i think uh empire total war gets better and better the more time passes because computers can run it now, right? Uh, in large part, uh, like it, when it came out, like computers couldn't really do Empire Total War. It's the biggest, most ambitious Total War. Uh, easily, perhaps Rome Two gets close, um, but it's to try and uh, simulate that type of warfare across multiple continents and multiple theaters. Uh, I've never had the same feeling of uh, mastery or kind of tactical. Uh, strategic depth that i got out of empire i think empire is the is the total war fantasy for me i think that's what it's kind of trying to do and i think that's where it does its thing most successfully and where like shogun 2 is probably is certainly the one i'd recommend for new players uh to the total war series but i think if you if you want the experience that total war gives you that's different from any other strategy game then empire is the one that 
delivers it most effectively. And it's gorgeous now, and the modding scene is brilliant. Uh, and yeah, it's, I think it's a great game. It's, it's very, it's like, it's so big that it's kind of creaky, and it's, a lot of the systems don't work, the naval combat's not very good. Um, but even in spite of all that, uh, as a package, I think it's, it's a really fun, outstanding thing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, bit of a left-wing pick, that one, but hmm. uh, yeah, it's a great game. Well, that's the other thing about the list is that we ha- we have the top 100 and then we have these personal choices as well, which tend to be mm. games that don't make the list or you know games that only we like or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, so picking that is an interesting process in itself, like because mm. um, you're you're almost uh, you're almost picking it as I don't know. I always pick it as like oh this represents my specific taste in games, perhaps more than anything else in the list. So yeah. it kind of has to not be something a bit a bit shit. Mm. In the past years, I picked South Park and Metro Last Light. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm currently debating what to pick this year, but mm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's also an interesting process for sure. Mm. Mm. Cool. Okay. Well, I think we've uh, I think we've reached a natural end point then. So uh, yes, we will um, we'll return to the top 100 once we've published the list. So we'll do a like last year. We'll do a podcast uh, about about that about the finished list where we'll go through it uh, possibly like the week that the mag is on sale, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. Um, give people a chance to digest it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I I. I I'm really some really interesting choices in the kind of like uh, upper sort of mid area of the list. I would say that's where there's been the most change this year. Um, some really interesting losers, I think this year. Yeah. Say a lot about modern taste and the way it's moving in PC gaming. Yeah, some surprising ones, and I wonder how that would be received. But like, um, mm. I think I think it will make sense to people when they think about the games they have enjoyed, what they would play now, and what they would recommend to people. Like, um, mm. yeah, yeah, for sure, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. Uh, I'm very happy with it for sure cool cool okay great well thank you very much for listening uh, we'll be back next week with uh, words about or probably a, a more standard episode so uh, we'd like your questions still yes uh, which you can send to letters at pcgamer.com mm-hmm. uh, with the subject line podcast Thanks. indeed and you can tweet us at uh, pcgamerpod as well on Twitter right. yes. that's our listening post for questions and uh, if you're in if you're a member of the PC Gamer Club you can also message us in our Discord channel uh, you can find out about, more about the PC Gamer Club at pcgamer.com you get a uh, digital copy of the magazine and a free uh, free game and a month and all sorts of other goodies so mm. check that out and uh, yes the regular magazine is uh, we have an issue on sale right now the day that we're recording this um, that uh, has Destiny 2 on the cover comes in a card wallet and also comes with a poster featuring every PC Gamer UK review score ever, uh, minus their back. And um, yes, yeah, uh, the, the, I think it, it's it's really cool. There's like I've spotted two errors so far. Hopefully there aren't any more. <laughs> yeah, those aren't score errors though. The scores seem to be fine. It's just a couple of naming it's, convention yeah, things. Yeah, it's sub editing. Uh, bless us, we tried. We tried our best. So many. Yeah, when we realised how many words it was, <laughs> that it was actually over five thousand games. There's bound to be a couple of errors in there, but. Yeah. Um, the list is actually really cool. It's a really cool thing to have. It's a double-sided A2 poster. comes in this card wallet. It's really nice. And the mag itself has a really great cover feature by Tom Senior here on Destiny 2. I love Destiny. Yeah, it's cool. Featuring an exclusive uh, Luke Smith interview, which is uh, which is really cool. Talking about the PC version and why why PC gamers will love it. Yeah, we should get back next week to talk about Destiny. But yeah, that's because- you. I played that as well. Yeah, so that'd be good. Yeah. Super excited for that. Mm. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. And there are features on other things. MMOs is a really good Eve Online yeah. feature in there by Stephen Messner. 
um, about a, a very good sort of like double crossing. That's yeah, if you love reading. your crazy Eve stories. That yeah. is one of them. And then we've also got like a like a brief history of MMOs as well, picking out um, highlights of the genre. But it is a really good kind of complete feeling history piece as mm. well. I think. Uh, so yeah, we have we have all of that. Uh, you can go buy that in shops now, and the US equivalent of that, which won't have a poster, but still has all that other cool stuff, will be out in a couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Yeah.